Welcome back to your home inspector training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. We're going to give you a basic training today on meth issues. Of course, as the home inspector, you are expected to know, as I've mentioned before, everything about everything. But one of the uh, key subjects that you're expected to be very clear with is meth. Now, a number of years ago, about six years ago, I got certified as a meth remediator. It uh, doesn't mean you need to do that, but it certainly is one of those things that uh, has improved my experience level as, uh, as a home inspector. Uh, I'm definitely not suggesting that you become a meth remediator, but I am suggesting that you uh, listen to my experience and learn what I have learned, um, sometimes the hard way, so that you can uh, have that background to start with as opposed to uh, gaining that over almost 25 years of experience at this point. Uh, it's a little slower the way I did it than, than to just sit down and listen to this podcast. Here we go. The origins um, of meth issues Back in about uh, 2006, uh, there was a federal law that was passed, which caused uh, a number of states, of course, to in turn pass their own laws as relates to shutting down meth labs. What they found is that there were a number of labs um, here in the United States that, uh, of course, meth is a brutal chemical, very addictive, very hard on any number of organs. Um, Maybe I'll start with one of my stories. I have a buddy who I met in one of those self-improvement classes. Uh, he had done it all. Uh, if, you, if you name a crime, he'd, he'd done it repeatedly. And, you know, I got some of his stories, but not all of them. Let's just say that it was a little bit scary. So uh, I had the uh, experience of talking to him about, uh, among other items, creating meth, you know, having a meth lab, dealing meth, what it does to a person's body, including his. And basically, this guy, uh, I'm going to say he was about uh, 30, 32, somewhere in there. He looked like he was 60. Um, he said that he, he was having major heart issues. I guess uh, the meth that he had been using had pretty much... Uh, you know, rotted out a lot of his teeth, his skin looked like he was 60, and uh, he listed all of the body organs that he said were in big trouble, and it was a longer list. So he's basically on, uh, on borrowed time before one of those organs shuts down and he's finished. This is what meth will do to you. So, um, as a result, some, um, some legislators, for very good reasons, uh, decided to shut down meth labs, at least in the United States. So what they did is they said, all right, we're going to make the precursors, meaning the ingredients um, for meth labs, more difficult to get to. Now, the problem is that the precursors are very common chemicals. Um, you have lye, you have rat poison, you have Coleman fuel, you have matches, um, you have any number of solvents that are already available. Um, you also have uh, ephedrine and Sudafed. And then at the same time, they said, uh, hey, we're going to make, besides making ephedrine and Sudafed more difficult to get to, we're going to make a lot of the other brands that use ephedrine um, 
again, either not available at all or over the counter, certainly more difficult to get to. You get a minimum number of boxes. You got to sign your name while the pharmacy or while the pharmacist is watching. You know, they they did the right number of things to shut down meth labs. Then, as part of that effort, some states said, all right, and uh, that's all great. We're doing all that. And by the way, while we're doing this, we are also going to uh, require that if a home was a meth lab, we're going to require that it be decontaminated or cleaned up. This is a point where I should probably mention that you want to be very careful about using the word clean as relates to meth decontamination. Um, In many cases, people expect, you know, people have a set of expectations when you use a word like clean. Most of those expectations are not true. After a home is decontaminated, it it may or may not be clean. It will be decontaminated. We're going to go further on that later. So... These uh, these labs, also known as clandestine labs, also known as clan labs, you'll hear those terms, are um, are what the intent of the law was to uh, shut these guys down. Now, by comparison, you know, as you and I are going to go into a home, and we're going to see a home that maybe it was, uh, maybe it's dirty, maybe it's in whatever condition it's in. Uh, And let's say that we walk in knowing that it was contaminated or is contaminated. The question then becomes, well, is this a lab or was it just recreational use? Um, The law doesn't differentiate. You and I don't know how to differentiate. Nobody else knows how to differentiate either. So all we can do is we can go in and sample the house, find out if, if the level is above or below standards, If it's above, it's a contaminated home, and a contaminated home needs to be decontaminated. So you can see in this way that the law has reached into areas that it wasn't originally intended to reach. Um, It was intended to shut down meth labs, where in many cases the meth contamination that you and I will run into, the vast majority of times, will be meth use. Again, the, uh, the law was not intended to to uh, shut, you know, to, to require decontamination of meth use, but, you know, there's no way to differentiate. So it, it just kind of becomes and is what it is sort of a thing. Effects of meth. What you really ought to do at some point, to do a Google search for faces of meth. Um, it shows, you know, people who started at uh, whatever day zero was for them, and then maybe six months or a year down the road after they've been using meth for a while, it shows what they look like later. And it's frightening what uh, happens to their face and their teeth. Uh, you've, you, you might have heard of meth mouth, where a person's you know, breath goes bad, their teeth get rotten, etc., etc. Um, it, meth does all of these sorts of things to, to a face and to a mouth. It does the same set of things to uh, the organs in a person's body, like I mentioned. So um, I want to be very clear that the effects of meth are extremely nasty. Um, the question then becomes, what is the safety level in moving into a house that was uh, contaminated by meth labs or meth use? We're going to go down that road. As the home inspector, what you want to look for, and this is based on my experience, um, these these items uh, 
especially the fourth one is mine and mine alone. But the fourth one is, I think, one of the most telling. If you just do a regular Google search for how to spot a meth lab, well, first off, you'll probably come to one of my articles or videos. But taking those away, uh, often what you'll be told is is a property that you know they'll go they'll go describing what uh, a lab looks like, you know, with the tubes, et cetera. You and I won't see those as home inspectors. Those are long gone by the time we get there, usually. Um, you know, obviously, somebody knowing that a home is uh, going to be inspected, somebody's going to go in there and walk through. And if you see a lab, you know they're not going to they're not going to let the inspector see that. So I have only, even as a remediator, I've only seen lab materials once, and that's after the place was um, actually raided by the cops, and they thought they'd removed everything. Turns out they didn't go far enough into the basement where everything was dark. And that's where I found the rat poisons and the kitty litter and some of the other materials that were used at that lab for creating meth. So item number one, uh, we're going to go over these four items. And, and, you know, again, I want to stress this is important. This is something you're going to want to uh, review at every home that you inspect. Um, this is going to differentiate between you and the other guy who's heard about meth but doesn't really know uh, he doesn't have the, the, the benefit of my 20-some-odd years of experience. So here we go. Uh, item number one, small, old, foreclosed apartments, rentals. The bottom line with this, if you, it stands to reason that a lot of meth users don't have a good job. Maybe they can't keep it. You know, maybe they don't have the discipline. Uh, for whatever reason, these older properties, they're, they're going to be spending more money on meth and less money on paying rent. So uh, if you see these types of properties, that can be one red flag. Now, also in the same category, you've got the properties maybe where, maybe it's a gorgeous home, and I've remediated a couple of these, but... Um, Maybe grandma has moved out. She's gone to the nursing home, and some, and the family decides to let the loser kid without a job move in. Well, it just turns out that that kid without a job is a meth user, and he goes about uh, destroying grandma's home. Um, that has happened in my experience. In addition, you will have, um, there's another home I did where the owner of the home uh, was a pediatric surgeon, and uh, he had a nice home. Uh, up on the east bench where you know all the uh, the better off people live in in my area and uh, I'm going to say it was a little bit over 4,000 square feet maybe 45 something like that and he has enough money that he decides he's going to move further east he's going to go up into the mountains and uh, he's got a nice little uh, resort cabin up there that he's living in now rather than leave um his son hanging because his son wants to stay in the area he just lets his son stay in this home of course this son is a meth user and he goes about trashing this house to give you a little bit more of this story uh, let me just paint this picture for you inside this house was uh, was daddy's $25,000 grand piano it was a very nice piano it had been signed by some people that uh, had won contests with it. Very nice piano. 
this piano was also contaminated along with the rest of the house. We had to work very hard to work with the county to, to allow them or to get them to allow this piano to be decontaminated as opposed to being thrown away. Can you imagine the, the horror of the landfill workers as they watch this gorgeous piano? $25,000, maybe 30 who knows? I am not a piano valuation guru. Uh, it was in that range. Uh, can you imagine the, the scenario where that's being thrown away? So uh, we did finally, with a great deal of uh, negotiating, get the county to allow that piano to be decontaminated. Now let me paint a di different picture for you. That piano, uh, you've got to decontaminate not only the keys and the exterior, but you've also got to decon decontaminate the pads, those little strikers, uh, all the wood inside, and you've got to do this with a harsh chemical. Uh, I didn't do that decontamination. I didn't want to be the one who was sued. But, you know, it they, the county did end up passing on the piano. They passed it off after we took some samples as required by the county. But I don't know how well that piano worked after it was done. So just keep that story in the back of your head. Everything that is in the house that uh, is smooth and easily cleanable can be can stay and be cleaned. Everything that is not smooth and easily cleanable has to go to the landfill, as determined by state laws in my state. Your state may be different. Okay, so we've got, uh, and uh, all of that fits into the category of small old foreclosed apartments and rentals. In this case, having uh, Daddy let the meth head son in, uh, that would be kind of a rental. It also applies where, uh, you know, I have another story where somebody let their their meth head friend in and the meth head friend contaminated his place. Uh, brand new newlywed who just listened to a to a buddy with a sob story and the and the buddy came in and destroyed this guy's everything. He threw out his wedding photos he, he lost all of his school books. Uh, it was ugly. He had to start over, having just started his life with his wife only months previous. So, again, rentals can mean that somebody's letting the, uh, the loser buddy in or the loser son or whoever the guy is. That's category one, small, old, foreclosed apartments and rentals and losers. And, yeah, don't email me about uh, being politically correct. They're the ones that I have run into. You can say they're not losers, but uh, talk to their parents. They just cost their parents. The ones that I run into, they just cost their parents tens of thousands of dollars. Those guys, whoever the victims are, they lost everything. And in many cases, they don't have the money to get started in life again. Sometimes the parents are retired. You know, whatever the scenario is, it is absolutely destructive to the victims of whoever let the uh, the meth head in. So to call them losers, you bet I'm going to call them losers. Don't send me the emails telling me I should be more correct. Category two, uh, cat urine. If the now meth, I talked to my buddy about this, and I I asked him directly. I said, why do homes smell like urine? He says one is that meth itself smells like urine, um, and not directly like cat urine, but that's the closest smell that uh, you know that you and I might be used to. 
Another is that, uh, and he confirmed this, that when a person is on meth and they're laying there on the ground and they're out cold, in many cases they don't make it to the uh, to the potty. And uh, so they go right there. That's another reason why uh, property can smell like cat urine or urine. One of the homes I inspected, actually, I opened up the door uh, after you know getting the key, I opened up the door, and this cat goes tearing out of the property. The, the place was completely vacant. There was nothing in there except for a carpet and pad and, and doors and windows. But somebody had thrown a cat in there. And, uh, of course, the place smelled badly of cat urine. I'm sure cat urine was part of it. But this guy had actually thrown a cat in there as a way to cover or explain why the place smelled like cat urine. Evil. Yeah, meth is that kind of evil. Um, anyway, I I didn't let the cat actually uh, dissuade me from testing for meth. I did test for meth, and of course it came up high, and uh, the place had to be decontaminated. So item number two is cat urine. Three is a property that is trashed, or one that used to be trashed, and now it's cleaned up. One of the homes that I, uh, that I also decontaminated was... Um, it was a home where somebody was actually renting out individual rooms, talking about apartments and rentals. They had the home that was a, um, I'm going to say a split level. You've got an upper floor and then a basement. And so the kitchen and family rooms were were common space. And then you had these doors all with locks, and they actually had, the doors labeled apartment one, two, three, etc. wasn't that big a house. I'm going to say it was maybe 2,000, 2,200 square feet. But um, the place when I got in, it was three feet high with trash. You could not get that. You know, you couldn't move around in a lot of the rooms. It was that high. Uh, as we went in, and then, of course, we had squatters in there who wouldn't leave. It was about November, and... We, uh, again, at this point, the place had been busted. The cops knew that it was a uh, it was a place where meth was either being cooked or certainly used and definitely dealt. So the place was known to be contaminated. But what, did, what was happening in this particular property, and there, there's a reason why I'm telling you this story, is you're going to want to be careful about this yourself. Um, we had people who, you know, again, their money was going to meth, not to rent. So these guys were staying in the home long after all notifications had been posted. And um, so then it, it became the, uh, the job of the cops to go in and uh, get this squatter out. Uh, they looked, I, I showed up, they, they showed up, I looked at them and I said, okay, here we go. You know, we got the squatter in there, they knocked on the door, they banged to the ring the doorbell. Uh, they opened the door a little bit, they could hear sounds of movement, and uh, they did not want to go in because of the meth. I didn't, uh, they wanted me to go in, and I'm thinking, I don't want to go in because I'm not a cop, I'm not trained, I don't have a gun, and I don't want to get shot. Um, in this particular house, the uh, I, I did go in to see as far as the upstairs hallway. You know, it was you go up the stairs and turn right, go down the hallway, and uh, this turns out it was a lady was actually in the uh, the master bedroom to the right. Uh, as I looked at that hallway, I could see that there was a knife stuck in the hallway sheetrock 
wall. At that point, I decided I'm not going anywhere. Um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm an adult. I'm uh, I weigh two twenty. I uh, am reasonably athletic, but I don't want to be taking on anybody who's uh, who's high on meth, who's coming at me and uh, trying to take me out, even if it is a woman. Not going to go there. Not paid enough. So you know, this is the kind of stuff you're going to want to put in your in your background too. Um, maybe I can guarantee you that as you do home inspections, you will run into any number of meth contaminated properties that you're not aware are contaminated. Some of those times you'll run into these properties where the uh, the buyer or the seller or the renter is there, not the buyer, the renter is there. And uh, they may be in whatever state, so you're going to want to be careful about uh, how they respond to you. In any case, uh, to finish up that story, the the cop wouldn't go in. I wouldn't go in. Uh, We all left. Nobody kicked this this, uh, lady out. What they ended up doing is turning off all of the, the, the water, sewer, gas, and then because it was November, it got very cold, and this lady ended up uh, leaving all by herself. So cat or trashed is item number three. It, the reason why I bring this story up is that that place, like I mentioned, was three feet high in trash. That, uh, that knife in the wall nicely added to the whole trashed theme. As I was doing that, yeah, there were, there were damaged doors and door frames all over the place. That is item number four that you're going to be looking for as a home inspector. If there are are damaged doors, you'll see that uh, sometimes the the door itself is damaged, especially if you've got a bedroom door. If you've got a stronger door, sometimes it'll be the door frame that gets gets damaged when somebody kicks through doors. I'm not sure quite why meth heads are so hard on doors and door frames. But they really are. I can only imagine that maybe if somebody's getting low on, on uh, meth, then maybe they're they're angry, they're pissed off, they're kicking things, and doors and door frames seem to take the the majority of the abuse. You're gonna want to look at the um, the lock plate and the frame there, and if it's cracked vertically, that means that somebody's put a great deal of stress on that. Now, the objection to this one is that every you know. So, no matter where I publish this at, somebody's always going to say, great, you know, now because my husband got mad or whatever, now everybody's going to think I've, uh, I've uh, got a meth house. Even the response to that is that even if you've got all four of these items, that doesn't mean that the home is a meth house. It means that it needs to be tested for. So, you know, and then the other side of the coin is that, that it, some people will respond and say, well, you know, every home needs to be tested for meth. And the, the response to that is a qualified yes. Um, you know, if you've, got, if you've got the home that just doesn't look like that, maybe the, uh, the homeowner um, has personally lived in that home for 20 years. The place is in really good shape. You can see the doors are original. Maybe the home was built in, I don't know. 1990 and they are the only owners in the place you can see that there's mileage on the doors they haven't been replaced it doesn't smell badly etc this home is a much lesser risk for meth at that point um, you know you can use your own guidance and your own business models to uh, 
perhaps just you know, not necessarily recommend meth just because every home needs to be tested for meth, but to educate the buyer and say, look, you know, this home, I, I look for these four things and I don't see any of them, but that doesn't mean it's not meth contaminated. Uh, here's the information you need. You make the decision. Similarly, if you get two or three or all four of those items where you check those off, the discussion is very similar. You say, you know, I found three out of four. Um, doesn't mean it's contaminated, but it does mean that it's worth testing. I would, I would urge you to do so, but the decision is always yours. Um, that's the way to, to handle that. And, uh, you know, make sure uh, this is one of the key things that you're looking for as you're going through homes is these four items. Uh, small, old, foreclosed apartments, rentals, cat urine smell, trashed or used to be trashed, and damaged doors and door frames, or new doors and new door frames. In many cases, maybe a flipper or somebody who knows that uh, the door is trashed will, uh, before you come in, he'll come in and put a brand new door. So if you've got a 15 or 20 year old home that you're inspecting and you notice that a door or multiple doors are brand new, that also, uh, trips that switch. You know, the question is why is this door new? And, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a reasonable answer to that. And sometimes it's because there was Matthews. Okay. Let's, that's what to look for. Now, let's, let's go over some of the state laws. Now, I don't know, again, I don't know what state you're in. State laws can vary from death, uh, a lot from one state to another. For example, California um, regulates to a level of 0.1 micrograms per 100 square centimeters. And that may sound like French, but here's what it is. A microgram is roughly the size of a grain of salt. And 0.1 micrograms would be you taking your pocket knife and carving that grain of salt into 10 equally sized smaller grains. Um, 100 square centimeters is an area about the size of your hand if you're an adult male. So basically you're taking that tenth of a grain of salt, you're spreading it over uh, an area the size of the palm of your hand, and that's 0.1 micrograms per 100 square centimeters. South Dakota also has a similar rule there at 0.1. Colorado is 0.5. Uh, Indiana is 0.5. Utah is a 1.0. And um, you know, other states have, have other requirements. So pretty much, uh, and pretty much all of the western states are going to have disclosure requirements and decontamination requirements. Uh, many of the northeastern and southern states, basically they've got nothing. Um, they may have some disclosure, but they have no requirements for decontamination. So if you draw a line from Mississippi to Wisconsin, pretty much every state east of there uh, either has no requirements at all or uh, maybe they've got requirements for disclosure but not for decontamination. The exception to that would be states like West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois. Um, so, again, you know, uh, it's this is one of those things where you've got to do your own research based on your own state, but I can give you some background. California EPA has done a study, and I have read most of that study. It kind of reads like a dictionary, very hard to read, scientific jargon, mumbo-jumbo. 
but I have read most of that study. Their bottom line is that they recommend, based on the, the subject being a, a two to three, well, I think it was an 18-month to two-year-old child, crawling on the floor, getting the stuff on his hands, eating, uh, getting the stuff on the, the balls and blocks and toys that, that he's, uh, he's playing with, and then eating his hands and eating his, uh, the balls and blocks, etc. Based on that set of assumptions, they suggest a uh, regulatory value of 1.5. Um, and again, none of the states that I, uh, that I researched actually require a value of 1.5 as the regulatory threshold, but that's what the, this study by California EPA suggests. Okay, so um, you've got these state laws that are kind of all over the place, and uh, the, the, there's quite a bit of difference between a 1.0 and a 0.1. The amount of work required to get a, a value of 0.1 is, is considerably more strenuous than a 1.0 like Utah's. Okay. Uh, then, for example, Texas and Oklahoma, you've got a requirement only for disclosure. Um, New York, again, there's nothing. Pennsylvania, nothing. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, there's nothing as of the time that, uh, that I'm recording this, 2015. Uh, and disclosure can be interesting. So basically what the disclosure means is if the seller is aware of a history of meth use or meth labs in there, they're supposed to disclose. Uh, yeah, obviously, the word knows uh, can be legally parsed. For example, maybe the owner saw the renters that were in there. Maybe he saw them smoking, but he didn't test for meth, and so he doesn't know if it was meth or if it was something else. The guy might legally be able to say that he doesn't know. Even if he saw meth um, paraphernalia, you know, does that does that meet the definition of knowing? And I'm not a lawyer, but you can see how how the word knowing can be uh, can be pushed and pulled uh, to where you know uh, uh, something like disclosure could be dicey. Anyway, uh, you'll again you're going to want to make sure that you understand what uh, what the laws are in your state. Who can sample? Again, uh, so open to uh, to each state to, to decide who can sample, but to my knowledge, pretty much anybody can sample, including and especially home inspectors. It is home inspectors who generally find meth contamination. And if you go to my website, you will see a video on how to sample for meth. We're, uh, you'll want to watch that um, homemedicusa.com slash meth, but uh, let's just go over it briefly here. What you're going to want to do is you're going to sample three locations. Now, this is different than a full clearance test. Uh, let's start with the full clearance test. That is sampling wall, ceiling, and floor of each room in the house, plus the HVAC, plus the kitchen appliances, plus the laundry appliances if they're there, plus at least one sample blank. So you're going to end up, if you're going to do a full clearance test, you're going to end up with a um, with an expensive set of tests that, um, you know, this is done after a remediation is complete. A full clearance test is done to make sure that the job has been done successfully. But 
and again, this can vary from one state or one county to another. But, uh, yeah, that, that's very different. Most home um, inspection clients are not going to want to pay for a full clearance test. So what you can do as the home inspector is you're going to sample three locations, put them on, uh, on one test, and then put that test into a vial, send it off to the lab, and then you'll see what the results look like. So those three locations, uh, you're going to want to sample two locations of the three uh, at the HVAC. So um, the reason for that is that uh, let's say that the smoking or the lab or whatever, maybe it was done in the bedroom, maybe it was done in the kitchen, maybe downstairs, you know, who knows? And you can't really go sampling each of those rooms. You only get three, uh, three locations. So all air from all rooms goes into the uh, HVAC system. So you're going to want to take off the grill and, uh, and sample 100 square centimeters. You will, as part of your kit, you'll have a template that indicates what 100 square centimeters is. Take off the grill sample inside there. That's one sample. Uh, another, the next sample you're going to want to take is at the furnace, immediately upstream of the filter. The reason for that is sometimes the filter, uh, it will get some of the meth out, and then it will get changed out you don't want to swap you don't want to sample the filter because you know it might only be two days old and in any case even if it's a year old if the um, if the meth use happened two years ago that filter isn't going to give you what you need so you actually want to sample the floor or the walls of the plenum which is again the space immediately upstream of the furnace filter if you can do that if you can get there um, as a home inspector you are uh, not allowed to change the home in any way, and that means that if you're you can't go cutting into something just to get your sample. Uh, not kosher. It's the kind of stuff that could be a career ender and get you sued. So if you can't get to that space, then just find a hundred square centimeters uh, wherever you can and sample that at the furnace. Okay, uh, then you've got your second sample. The third thing you're going to do is you're going to go sleuthing. Let's say that uh, maybe you find that the door frame uh, to the master bedroom is stressed. Maybe it's got that big old crack in there. And uh, if so, then you have reason to believe that the meth user uh, might have been in the master bedroom. If so, then you go sampling in there. Maybe at the, you know, you're going to want to do a dirty space. So that would either be maybe the wall right next to the light switch, um, maybe the windowsill. Maybe you pull up the carpet and uh, sample there, especially if you got a hardwood floor in there or maybe a tile. Uh, the floor might be a good place to sample. So again, you put your 100 square centimeter uh, uh, template down and do your thing. Okay, uh, with those three samples done, you can you can pack that into a, uh, a canister, and you are ready to go on um, on uh, sending that into the lab. If it comes back the total beyond your state law, now you're going to want to make sure that you understand. You're going to the the sample result is going to come back showing three numbers. Uh, the first number is the total. The second is the average for the three samples that you took. And the third number, if you're using ALS, which I recommend, is 0 0.1. 
0.1 is uh, the state law for, for many states. It used to be the state law for a lot more, but they've changed. ALS has not changed that number because there's no single agreed-upon number to change it to, so they just left that third number at 0.1. It's part of the form. So let's say that your first number is oh, 2.7, and your second number then for three samples will be 0.9. Some states will look at that 2.7 and say, well, your total is 2.7, so we're going to assume that the entire, you know, that one part of the home is is contaminated to 2.7. Therefore, that, you know, where that individual area is 2.7, um, it's contaminated. Therefore, the entire home is contaminated. You know, that is the level of logic that is often used. Similarly... Uh, another state or another county might say, okay, you've got 2.7 over three samples. That means that you got an average of 0.9. Therefore, we're going to assume that all three of those areas are 0.9. Uh, that is less than the standard of maybe 1.0, which might be the standard in that state. Um, therefore, the place is not contaminated. So you can see there are some uh, very different ways to interpret those results you're going to want to make sure you understand how those results are interpreted in your state and your county. Be aware that uh, while a state law may be a certain number, uh, in most cases it's up to the local health department to interpret those. So you'll want to make sure you have that conversation so you know how those laws apply to the home that you inspected. Uh, in my case, I actually work primarily in two different counties where where the two scenarios that I just described are uh, applicable, one county uh, uses the first number as their identifier for whether a property is contaminated. Another county uses the other method. You're going to want to be up to speed on that. So um, moving on, how it's done, uh, I'm not going to, uh, again, I'm going to provide you a very basic training just so that you have the, the background. I'm not going to train you uh, here how to be a, uh, a meth remediator. Nobody else is going to do that either for any, uh, for any free service. Uh, all of this stuff is done by, uh, by research, and, um, and nobody's going to give that away for free. But the, the, the basics are that uh, a person going in there is going to use PPE, which is personal protective equipment. He's going to use suits and masks. He's going to use chemicals. Those chemicals are usually going to be very nasty. You have some meth remediators who will say that they are using um, environmentally friendly stuff. Uh, that may be true, but what is considered environmentally friendly um, if it's, you know, if it's some of the stuff that I've used, that stuff is environmentally friendly, but it will still dissolve your eyes and your lungs uh, during the time that it's being used. So, you know, nasty stuff that's being used. Um, also, I would like you to be aware of uh, the difference, again, between cleanup and decontamination. The uh, uh, I even had a lawyer where he was the buyer on a property, and he came in and he says, and I could tell he put on his uh, his lawyer mode when he saw that, um, for example, there was some old time heat registers that had been taken off, and they were they they were stuck on there, and they they had to be abused when they were removed. Um, 
he basically says, well, you know, if, uh, if this place has been cleaned up, then why is it not clean? Um, and he put that in, in his best in front of the judge posture and, and tone. And the response from the county is, um, I thought was epic. He says, you know, when we are involved in a home remediation, there's two words we don't use. We never say clean and we never say safe. What the remediator is doing is he's decontaminating two state and county standards. And uh, it doesn't mean that it's that it's uh, either clean or safe, or either at the beginning or at the end of the decontamination process. So be careful about using a word like clean. Now, another concept that I want to have you be clear on is, is uh, the word non-detect. I just had a phone call this morning, for example, where I had somebody asking me questions, and they said, well, I want to get to zero. Zero can't happen. It's impossible to detect zero at the lab. So what the lab can do is they can detect up to 0.1 micrograms per sample. And, um, and so if there is less than 0.1, you're going to have uh, an ND, which means non-detect. Uh, people that assume that they, you know, that is that zero is what they want, need to be educated a little further. Uh, let's go over precursors or signs of a lab. So let's say that, uh, and I have alluded to this earlier. Um, the the lab that I got into a couple of years ago, yeah, there was some rat poison there. I saw some some tubes and some vials, you know, the glass vials that are used typically in a, uh, in a chemistry type environment. I even saw where they weren't going that far and they were just using standard jars for part of the process. Um, you had some Coleman fuel going in there and other solvents. If you've got, um, I also saw another lab and this one actually was the home where uh, the son of the, uh, of the doctor uh, was in there. He actually had a lab in there on the kitchen table. And, of course, he claimed up and down that he didn't have a lab. But uh, I saw it there on the kitchen table. Right next to that lab, I saw a gun. You know, a gun can, um, can be part of a lab as well. Obviously, if you're, you know, if you're that guy that's got a lab going... Um, you know what you might be thinking. You don't need other people coming in and uh, robbing you from, of, your, uh, of your fresh new creation. So there, there may be a gun as part of that, too. Um, if you see these sorts of things, uh, you've got a lab. doesn't mean that if you don't see them, you don't have a lab. But uh, this is the kind of, of education that I need to give you just to cover that base. Chances of you actually seeing a lab in your entire career... Uh, might be kind of low, but you know maybe it uh, might depend on what area you're inspecting in. I'm just thinking, you know, um, a lot of those meth heads are kind of wasted, but uh, well, based on my experience, they're they're smart enough at some point in time to hide the evidence while you're walking in. Now, one more concept I want to cover before we go into uh, what the aftermath is is that it. Uh, the laws were written, you, meant, you, you notice that as I was talking about uh, the original laws being written to shut down meth labs, uh, at the time when the laws were written, it was not about safety. It was about shutting down meth labs. 
Uh, it has moved from shutting down meth labs to a to an assumption of safety. And yes, there is this uh, California EPA study, among some others, that uh, that that assumes what uh, the purpose of those studies is to I come up with some idea of what safe is, but. Um, like the like I'd mentioned, the county health department guy, he says it's not about clean or and it's not about safe. Uh, it's and you might want to do your own research on that because that sounds like you know a very odd thing to say that meth guidelines and rules are not about safety. Uh, when that question is asked of one of the health departments that I deal with, the one that is more restrictive. Um, you know, what is the safety associated with meth contamination? Their response is, because they don't know, their response is, we don't know how safe or unsafe it is, so you should be careful. And you can draw your own conclusions about that. Um, anyway, my, my point here is not to tell you that, that, uh, that contaminated properties are safe or unsafe, because bottom line is a contaminated property is contaminated and must be decontaminated. And whoever, it's kind of like a game of uh, hot potato, because whoever is holding the bag and owns that property, when it is found to be contaminated, is going to be subject to some very extensive expenses. Uh, and let's go over those. So, for example, and before I get started here, um, a standard remediation for a lot of properties, depending on the state, depending on the laws, um, is going to be anywhere from maybe four to six, maybe seven or eight thousand um, dollars. I understand that in, for example, Colorado, it can be ten or twelve. Now that is for the remediation. In addition, the if a home buyer is thinking about purchasing a meth contaminated home, they also need to budget in. In addition to the decontamination, they need to budget budget in some other items. The chemicals that are used to decontaminate are nasty little chemicals, and they can cause damage. Obviously, being chemicals that are wet, they can damage maybe a hardwood floor. They can damage perhaps the stove or oven. They can damage the uh, the furnace, and uh, who knows? Depending on what kind of materials or, or chemicals are used, I have seen bubbling in linoleum. I've seen staining or uh, loss of luster in the cabinets and counters. So, a person needs to add. Uh, some some cost for repainting, recarpeting, and restoring whatever else may be damaged as part of the um, meth remediation process. Uh, again, the uh, the meth remediator is not a cleaner; he's a remediator, and he does what he has to to remediate. What that uh, basically means is, if something gets damaged in the process, that's not proof that he sucks; it's proof that he did his job. Okay, um, what stays and what goes, we're going to talk about that. Uh, items that stay, bottom line, uh, and this is going to, again, be subject to state and county interpretation, but the words smooth and easily cleanable are often applied. So, for example, um, dishes or glass. 
you know, dishes are generally not worth decontaminating because you've got to prove that they're decontaminated and it's usually cheaper just to throw them away. But uh, let's go with glass or maybe an outside door or painted sheetrock or uh, something akin to that. Those can stay and be decontaminated. Appliances, lighting is iffy, depends on the decontaminator and the county. And most counties will allow lighting to stay and then it just needs to be treated. Sheetrock I'd mentioned, I have seen where counties will allow masonry to be decontaminated as well. Now, masonry is far from smooth and easily cleanable, um, but it is such grief to get uh, all of that masonry off. Let's say that you have a wall, and I've run into this before. The home was about 1920, and um, in the year it was built, it was in an area where... Um, it was in high demand right near a university, and they had this uh, masonry wall around a fireplace. county did not require that masonry to come off. Similarly, maybe you've got a concrete floor. Uh, that is not smooth and easily cleanable, but it is not reasonable to, um, to expect that the entire concrete floor be removed. So those are allowed to stay. Similarly, if you've got linoleum or hardwood or tile, uh, those are considered to be uh, acceptable to leave in the home. What goes would be carpet and pad, uh, trash, dishes and boxes, and anything else that's not smooth and easily cleanable. Um, that list at another property that I did just barely, the, uh, the sellers, the owners, wanted to keep their... <clears throat> Let's try that again. The owners wanted to keep their leather furniture. And the county did not allow that. They said that was not smooth and easily cleanable. Too many cracks and crevices. So they required that furniture to be disposed of as uh, meth-contaminated waste at the landfill. Okay. A um, couple of uh, stories just again to give you some, some experience and background. I did a, um, a, an, a remediation at another college town uh, in my area. That one was a bit of a drive. I'm going to say it's about 100 miles one way. And what had happened there is, again, a, uh, a kid let his brother in to, uh, to get the rent, free rent, and the brother who, uh, who was a meth user uh, returned the favor by trashing the guy's place. He, he lost a lot of money. This kid was, I'm going to say, about 28, and he lost a lot of equity for, as a cost for letting his meth head brother into this property. Um, another one, similarly, where, uh, where you had a parent that recognized that their son was not making it, and as a, an act of kindness, they said, all right, we're moving over to this other place. Uh, this sounds a lot like the other uh, piano doctor story that I was telling you about, but it's a common theme. Uh, they let the loser kid in, uh, loser kid in, let his loser friends in, and they all trashed the place as well. Then uh, the parent, of course, had to pay for the remediation. They lost uh, everything that they had left in that house. So much uh, legacy there. All of his tools, um, it, was, it was ugly. Then there was a property where uh, it had been busted, and the the landlord had told those guys, "Okay, you know, you need you let your buddies in. They, we've we've busted you for for meth." 
Uh, they the buddies stayed until the very last day, um, and then the county uh, and the police showed up and they says, "All right, you know your your time is up. You got 15 minutes left to get out of the place." At that point, they started cleaning. So one of the things they chose to do was to to stick their needles. They didn't have time to actually get them in a garbage bag and take them out, so they stuck their needles and other paraphernalia in the heat vents. And so it became part of what uh, we were doing to actually get those needles safely back out of the heat vent. You can imagine sticking your hand in there not knowing and getting stabbed by one of those needles. Scary stuff. Another one of the uh, remediations that I did was a uh, meth head who who wouldn't let anybody in. And, um, you know, the uh, the suspicion was certainly there. Uh, the guy had a history with the cops, but he was never going to allow his front door to be opened. The irony here is that uh, we were able to get to his furnace because that was outside of his living space. So I, I didn't have to go into his, his space. I, I sampled his furnace. Sure enough, came up positive. He was hosed. Um, then I, d I got another call from a lady... Then I got another call from a lady who said that um, she had a contaminated meth home. And she wanted to make sure that it was decontaminated. She says that it was 18 times safe. 18 times the, the safe value. Now again, the word safe and the word clean um, scare me a little bit. So I had to uh, educate her a little bit and let her know that it, it wasn't 18 times safe. It was 18 times the regulatory threshold for what was considered to be allowable at a property. Let me give you one more little bit of data that I know you will find to be interesting. So you've got a lot of uh, states. You know, Again, pretty much all of the western states have a law associated with uh, what is allowable? So let's go with California's number, 0 0.1 micrograms per 100 square centimeters. And that law is not only applicable to meth, but it's also applicable to ephedrine and uh, similar products like ephedrine, i.e. pseudofed, pseudoephedrine, etc. Now, let's have you go to any pharmacy, and what you're going to do is you're going to buy um, a box of of pills um, for for ephedrine or Sudafed. Uh, this is available again anywhere. If the state standard is 0 0.1 micrograms, you can take a single 10 milligram uh, pill, and they often come in that size. You can actually buy pills that are uh, as much as 25 milligrams. I did a 30-second search on Google and found a, a box of ephedrine where the, where the pills were, were 25. But let's assume that you've got a 10-milligram pill. If you take that single 10-milligram pill and you grind it up and you spread that single pill evenly over the entire house, including the HVAC system, it will contaminate, legally contaminate, the entire home, wall, ceiling, floor, HVAC system, to a level of uh, pretty much 0 0.1 micrograms per 100 square centimeters. This is true for a home that is 4,000 square feet. So, <clears throat> again, 4,000 square foot home, 
0.1 micrograms, which is uh, a very common number. California, uh, South, I want to say South Dakota, uh, I believe even Nevada, uh, that one pill will contaminate the entire home. So, you know, you can, you can decide for yourself if that one pill can be swallowed without thought, but that one pill can legally contaminate a 4,000-square-foot home. Uh, how unsafe is this home? This is something for you to decide. Again, um, you can draw your own conclusions, but it kind of doesn't matter because a property that is contaminated needs to be decontaminated, and that's pretty much what it comes down to. No county health department personnel is going to listen to your argument or anybody else's about, well, that's safe or it's not safe. They've got a law to to enforce, and that's what they're going to do. But uh, the reason I'm giving you that sort of information is you can use that to provide some guidance to your uh, home inspection clients as to uh, the relative perceived safety as relates to um, to meth. Okay, um, <clears throat> this was a long one, but uh, I needed to give you that much information just to get you started as a home inspector in the uh, in the meth category. Um, <clears throat> There are a few subjects that are more important for you to have a good background on um, than, than meth. You know, you're expected to know, of course, electrical and plumbing, etc. But the items that are getting the headlines and the ones that home inspection clients are going to expect you to know, meth, if not right at the top of that list, it's towards the top. So you need to be... Uh, certainly up to speed on that make sure you understand everything that i've given you make sure that you've uh, gone to my website homemedicusa.com slash meth reviewed everything there reviewed the comments uh done your research as far as what's going on in your state and county and uh, make sure that you are are providing your client not with fear and paranoia that you've heard from other people you know, in many cases, what is uh, taken for truth is, is merely something that has been repeated to each other enough times that it's considered to be truth. Make sure that you, um, you understand what the truth is. You know, go to some sources that you believe, that you think are uh, knowledgeable about what's going on. Talk to some of the, maybe some of the remediators in your area, see what they know. And uh, determine for yourself whether they are spouting what they've heard from somebody else or whether they are talking from direct experience. Talk to some doctors. Um, <clears throat> again, get up to speed on this one. And um, make sure that you, you are looking for those four items that I talked about at each home and educating your clients about uh, how you feel about e at each home, about whether you're recommending a meth test or not and why okay uh, so you know this bill take uh, take good care of your customers respect them honor them make sure they feel like you are there to take care of them uh, look at them as your next recruit in an army of customers who are passionate about the way you do business and people who are going to refer you out to their friends uncles buddies etc this is how to run a successful home inspection business now go out there make me proud <laughs>